Let's pray together. Father, we come. We don't come in strength, Lord, this morning, but we come in weakness. We come in weakness in view of bodies that decay, age, feel the the weight of all variety of things in this world. And so we don't come with our hope in view of our bodies. We come in view with hope that is set upon Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for coming and living and dying being buried and rising again. That one day, by your grace, we will have glorified bodies. That all this pain and suffering will be gone. The experience of sin continually pressing in on us and pressing upon us in the flesh. No more. And so we come, and as we look out upon the world and look at the toil and the troubles and the strife, we don't need band-aids, which so many people are offering to us. We need Jesus. Jesus is not a band-aid. He is the one that we need. Life is in him. Forgiveness is in him. Reconciliation is in him. And true hope only, or real hope, is found in him. And so as we come with decaying bodies and amidst a world that is filled with toil and troubles and all variety of things. May we just come this morning and rest in Christ. May we look to Christ and have our eyes set upon him right now. Father, we pray you would help us in this amidst distractions or things that we have going on in our lives that you would help us to turn our eyes to him. And help us come this morning to your word in light of the truth that we would come with believing hearts ready to take your word and live it out because we believe it. And so help us. Give us grace this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible... And I hope you do. Please turn with me to the letter of James. We pick up our study this morning, walking through this letter with James chapter 5. And we'll be in James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. There are many hymns I enjoy, as I'm sure you also have many hymns that you could list that you enjoy. Maybe we have sung one of them this morning. But I especially love the hymn, Be Thou My Vision. If you know the hymn, you likely remember the words or the opening words of the hymn, but they go like this, and I'm not going to sing it, so don't expect me to do that. I'll just read The opening words of Be Thou My Vision. So it begins this way. Be Thou My Vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that Thou art. Thou my best thought, by day or by night, waking or sleeping. Thy presence, my light. This hymn, it powerfully directs our eyes not to this world, not to 
this kingdom, not to America, not to what's going on here. But it directs our eyes and our hearts to Christ as the supreme and ultimate treasure of our souls. And hopefully you see a bit why I love this hymn. (laughs) So powerful. Directing us to him who we need as the supreme treasure of our souls. And so it goes on in verse 3 and it says, Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance now and always. Thou and thou only, first in my heart, high King of heaven, my treasure thou art. Beautiful words. Now as we hear that and as we hear those words from the hymn, Be Thou My Vision, let me forewarn you that the words of that hymn might well be the lightest words that you're going to hear this morning. Because James, in our passage here, has some rather heavy and rather direct words for us. And really, if you've been walking through the letter of James with us, that's no surprise at this point. But wow, he comes out here in these verses. So in the midst of one of the richest nations in the world, which we're in, America. James, he would have us stop, even right now, and ask ourselves, really? (laughs) Are you really not after riches, but after Christ and after his kingdom that he And he only would be first in your heart. So I'm going to ask that question again. Because as we begin this going into this passage right now, you need to ask this question of yourself. Ask these questions of yourself. We'll sing the song. But really, are you really not after riches? But you're after Christ and after his kingdom that he and he only would be first in your heart. And so to see this exhortation from James then, let's read his words here beginning with verse 1 of chapter 5. May God bless the reading of his inerrant and his true word. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth Eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mold your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So as we come here to the last chapter in this letter of James. James, he does not begin by turning the dial down, <laughs> but rather he turns it up 
quite a bit here. And so if you remember a few weeks ago, just before this, and you can look in your Bibles before this and you'll see it, but in James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, we were challenged to consider our theology of planning. And so rather than embracing, as we saw there in James 4, 13 through 17, rather than embracing a godless kind of worldly view of planning, we were exhorted to God-centered, godly planning. Hence, we read in chapter 4, verse 15, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So while he addressed merchants there in those verses, in chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, so as he's, he addresses the common man there, now in our verses here this morning, he turns to address landowners or the wealthy. And as he does that, he gives a sober appeal. And he gives this sober appeal to the rich. And what is his appeal? His appeal is this. Repent. Repent. And so he doesn't ease us into this. He just goes right into his appeal. I mean, he's not holding back. He's not waiting for you to get ready. He just appeals to you and exhorts you, repent. As one commentator described what James is doing here, is that as he is doing this and he's setting forth this exhortation, he is declaring prophetic denunciations upon the rich. Woes upon the rich. So in other words, James is taking on this demeanor of something of an Old Testament prophet. Declaring these woes upon the rich. But why? But why does he do that? For what purpose does he take on this demeanor? To appeal to the rich to no longer live for a fading world, but to know Christ and to live for the kingdom of Christ. And so he appeals to them. Now, if you remember back in chapter 1, when we started this letter back in chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, James, he was addressing their believers when he said this, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Now, if you remember, as we walked through that passage now months ago, he was indeed most definitely talking to believers in the Lord Jesus Christ saying that you, whether you're rich or poor, you need to live your life in view of the cross of Jesus Christ, hence his words, humiliation. They may be exalted by the world, the rich, but they're living in view of the cross and the humiliation of the cross of Christ and everything they're doing as believers in Christ. That's what defines them. And that is what is to define them or you if you are a rich believer in Christ. Yet, here in our verses today, he's not. He's not talking about believers. The people he's addressing here, these are not believers. It's clear that the ones that he's talking about here are presently under God's judgment. And God's judgment is really and readily coming for them. 
As we'll see, they are being condemned for what the unbelieving rich are consistently condemned for throughout Scripture again and again. Or perhaps to put it another way, for us, as you take up the whole counsel of the Word of God, when you think of a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, do you think to yourself, as you're thinking of that believer in the Lord, do you think, well, he's, he's trusting in his riches, he's defrauding other people, he's living life to please himself, and he's condemning and murdering the righteous. Well, yeah, I think he's really a Christian. Right? I mean, the answer is no. I mean, some of you maybe. I mean, some churches, they may be like, well, yeah, I mean, I think that's fine. But the answer is no. What we see here is contrary to what believers are called to be and are to be about. Rather than loving God and loving others, this person, they love money, their God, and they hate others. And that is not to be indicative of those who know Jesus Christ. And if that is indicative of you, hear the words of James, woe to you. And so James unabashedly calls them to repent. And in doing so, he's not describing a mild, kind of slight sort of repentance here. What he's talking about is a total, all-in, completely sort of repentance. The urgency of this is seen with what the response is to be. And so he commands the rich to weep and to howl, to utterly turn away from sin and from self and to turn to Christ. And so this is a totally humbling of yourself before God. Like you're all in, you're on the floor, you're weeping before God. Woe is me. You're not doing it because of everyone else. You're not thinking, well, they're going to see me, so I'm just going to turn it on right now and weep and howl, and they'll think so highly of me. That's not what's going on. That's not what he's calling for. He's saying, with all you are, repent. That's the kind of repentance he's calling for here. And why? Why does he call for this sort of repentance? Because miseries are coming. Miseries are coming. Now you might be saying to yourself, in reading that in James, and hearing that, I'm not sure I like that. (laughs) The way that he put that there. Will they really face miseries? I mean, isn't all that stuff just a bunch of scare tactics? Don't just preachers just go out there and they get all red in the face and and cry out hellfire and brimstone and all this stuff. Isn't that all just a bunch of scare tactics? Just trying to scare me into heaven? Well, friends... One thing that you can be sure of here is that this is not an appeal born out of fantasies or fictions. It is an appeal born out of realities. Real things that are coming. And this is why James is so urgent why God's word is so urgent, why we, why you are so urgent, why I am so urgent. Because we are not dealing with fictions. We are dealing with the truth. 
realities. The world can say whatever they want. But this is what is coming for those who do not repent and believe the gospel. Listen, we don't preach about these things, about judgment and hell and sin, because people will applaud us. (laughs) I can guarantee you they won't. And if you're faithfully preaching the gospel, you already know they won't. We preach these things because they are real. They are true. We preach them because what he is saying here is true. Do you know who preached about hell more than anyone else in the Bible? Now, you may say to yourself, well, you know, I don't like all this stuff that James is saying here. And I I just want to hear from Jesus, okay? I want to hear how much he loves us. I want to hear how much he cares for us, how he died for us. I want to hear his teachings, good ethical teachings. Well, do you know who preached about hell more than anyone else in the Bible? It was Jesus. Now, why did he do that? Because real miseries are coming. He's not kidding with us. He's not just trying to scare you. He's talking about real things that are coming. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Fire that will not ever go out. Do you think that the God of all the universe who sent his son into the world to come and to save sinners who are heading to hell would preach about something like that if he loves you? Well, he did because he loves you, because he loves us, because these things are coming. Because real miseries are coming. So as God calls us to here in these or in this opening verse, as we are commanded to repent before God, don't play at repentance. Don't play at repentance. The Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, he said. This, let those who play at repentance remember that they who repent in mimicry shall go to hell in reality. It may be that that's how you think, or maybe how you even became a Christian. You just made a game of it, it wasn't real. You want people to know that you're a Christian. And so even into this very moment, you're in the pew here, and you have never repented before God. It was all just a bunch of games. You're playing at repentance. Well, don't play at repentance. What does it mean to repent? What's well, a total turning from self and from sin and a turning away from all of the counterfeit treasures and turning to Christ, your true and everlasting treasure of treasures. He is your life. That's true repentance. Everything else in this world can fade away. You can take it away. Because Christ is my treasure. It's turning away from death to Him who is life. 
what the world can't give. Life, forgiveness, true joy. Jesus gives without end. And so we begin then where many sermons end this morning with the call to repent. To ask yourself, not your neighbors, but you, examine yourself before God. Are you hoping in what you have? Now, we really need to examine ourselves in this as Americans. Because I think many, many, many people are hoping in what they have more than anything else. They've been born and bred that way. They see it in commercials. They see it as they go on the billboards. I am hoping in all of these things, not really Christ. So are you hoping in what you have? Are you hoping in what you have done? Reputation, success, Are you hoping in this world? Well, God is saying that that is a fool's hope. And judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Why? Why does he say that? Why does he say all of this in verse one. Well, this is exactly what James makes clear next here. Why he gives this sober call to repent. And so now he turns to give sober reasons to repent. Sober reasons to repent. So apart from repenting, the unbelieving rich are amassing a weight of evidence against themselves. And God is calling the rich out of their complacency and out of their indifference to see the weight of what is coming. And man, I wonder if that is why the American church is so complacent and so indifferent to glorious truths, to a glorious gospel, to a word, to the word of God from Genesis to Revelation that the saints of old have given their life to ensure that we have. And yet, flowing out over our lives is complacency and indifference. Well, God is calling us away from that and out of that to Himself, to His kingdom, and to living for what really matters, and to living for Christ, the treasure, and for the kingdom that will never fail. Even though our houses may burn down, we may lose our stuff, our money may be taken away, or whatever else, well then, if our hope is Christ and His kingdom, we have lost nothing. So God is calling us to orient our own hearts and selves towards that. And so then James gives reasons to repent here. And the first sober reason is what they have, they don't use. What they have, they don't use. Now we see this in verses 2 through 3. So the riches have rotted. Their clothing, it's moth-eaten. Their gold and silver is corroded. Now why does James say all of that? Well, he has a few reasons in mind. But he's saying that the rich accumulate more and more and more. And they don't need it. And they don't use it. So while many pine to have just one of what the rich have, well, the rich, they have much and they use little. So just consider 
even today, you know, some of those who are rich in America, which I, you might throw out some names, but just consider Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos. Well, it's not hidden that they are inordinately wealthy. So Bill Gates' net worth is $128 billion. That's a lot of money. <laughs> or Jeff Bezos' net worth is $116 billion. And Gates, he has eight houses, and Bezos has seven. Gates' house in Washington is 66,000 square feet. And Bezos' house in Washington also has 25 bathrooms, 11 bedrooms, three kitchens, and more. And that's just a small glimpse into what they own, right? I mean, that's not even scratching the surface. I mean, we could go on. Well, how much of that, of all that they have, are they using? All those houses, the furniture, the beds, the cars, or whatever else. Well, in the same way, James is saying that the rich, they have much, while much of it just sits unused. Oriented not toward God or others' good, but towards self and towards building the kingdom for yourself. This is a distinct difference. This isn't saying that, you know, there's not such a thing as rich believers. Like if you're rich, you're sinning. That's not what James is saying here. Remember chapter 1? He's talking to rich believers. Or even think of, you know, 1 Timothy 5 and other places where there are directions for rich believers. And so it's not just a matter of having a lot. But it's building a kingdom for yourself. It's using all your, you have for yourself. And not for God's glory and not for God's kingdom. And so they do all that while they leave others to suffer, even putting their finger on others to make them suffer, as we'll see here in a moment. So that's one reason. A second reason what they have won't last. What they have won't last. It's rotted. It's moth-eaten, it's corroded, it won't endure. They amass this great amount of wealth for themselves, for a kingdom that will not endure. And in saying all of this, James, he's alluding to more than what he's just saying here. Well, what do I mean? Well, he has in mind Jesus He's alluding to Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, and Luke 12, verses 32 through 34, that Tyler read a moment ago. And so, there, what is Jesus calling for? Well, Jesus, he's calling for followers to live for him and to live for his kingdom above everything. Else. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is about. He's saying that this is a kingdom of people. Wherever you are, wherever place you may live, you're not part of that kingdom. You're part of my kingdom. And so as you grow out in the world, live as those who are part of my kingdom. In your workplaces, in your homes, in the grocery stores, everywhere you go, live as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says then in Matthew chapter 6, the other side of Luke 12, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. At Christmas time, 
But right now, this is our common temptation. <laughs> right? Get more and more and more. Yet this passage presses us on to ask, whose kingdom am I building on? Whose kingdom am I building on? Am I building on my kingdom or am I building on Christ's kingdom? What are we doing with what God has given us? Is your home, are the things that you have, are they oriented and even aimed at kingdom purposes? Honoring and glorifying God. Now, I'm not saying we can't have fun. <laughs> you may come away from here, and if you're not careful, you could come away from what James is saying here and say, well, okay, all fun out the door, getting rid of my video game systems, getting rid of my board games. We're just going to have all this other stuff. <laughs> TVs, bye. Well, we remember what God said in James 1, every good and perfect gift is from above. Avoid extremes here, but do ask yourself, how are you orienting what you have for him and his kingdom? Is it only for you and your family? That is orienting it towards you. Aim it to his kingdom. Third reason. What they hope in is hopeless. What they hope in is hopeless. So on the day of judgment, what they will have will count for nothing. It will even be, this is why we see misery here, it will even be evidence against them. All those possessions that they have, this weight of evidence against them. Treasureless treasures indeed. And so James, he says, it will be evidence against you, verse 3, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in these last days. So why does he say that? Because we are living in the last days. Right now we are. It's not like we're waiting like, when is it going to happen? Since Christ came, we are living in the last days. Acts chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 1, James verse 3. In these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. Hebrews 1. And so this makes the indictment that James is presenting here greater. This present world will not endure Americans. You're rich, what you're trusting in, what you're looking to, if you're trusting in it, looking to it, if you're amassing it for yourself, in your own personal kingdom, it will not last. It's a false hope. And James is warning you and me and all of us, don't look to it. Don't trust in it. That's not where your hope is. And that's not where your hope is to be. Your hope is Christ. Fourth, fourth reason, what they do to the unknown is known. Verses four through six. So they're laborers who are working for them. They labor, and yet they do not pay them. <laughs> they steal from them the wages that are due those that labor for them. 
which is absolutely horrendous. Because in their day, that would have meant that the workers pretty much would not survive. (laughs) And so why did they do that? Why did they steal from others? Why did they not give them their wages? So that they can accumulate more and more and more. So they can, verse 5, live in luxury and self-indulgence while they're here on earth. They have fattened their hearts in a day of slaughter when a reckoning is coming. This is the deception of stuff. It never is satisfied. It's not just stuff. I mean, we can broaden this. I mean, it could be anything, right? It's the deception of anything that your flesh is longing for. At the bottom of it is always, always unsatisfied. It will never be pleased. Give me money, it's not enough. Give me sex, it's not enough. I want more. Give me pornography, I need more than that. Give me homosexuality, give me more. Give me whatever. Will not be satisfied. Stuff entices us and it beckons us to live for the here and for the now. It's why one celebrity spent $30,000 a month on wine. (laughs) $30,000 a month on wine. That's living for here and now. Because this is all I've got. You know, this is all there is. I just got to live it up. And if we're not careful, as we're living our life, working, getting the money, getting our paychecks, we just go on and adopt that same mentality that the world has. Just live it up. This is all I have. Well, that is foreign to the kingdom of Christ. We never see that as what Jesus calls us to. Living for the here and now, that is a lie. And our flesh will not stop begging you for more. (laughs) It cries out, calls out, yet like fire, it never is satisfied. And so it is that the rich... They are defrauding. They will do whatever they can to get money. You may do, be doing whatever you can to get whatever you want. Your flesh is demanding from you. And so here in James, the cries of the harvesters, they were heard by God. And they are still heard by God. As you maybe are destroying your family as you're aiming for what your flesh wants, whatever it is, you're saying, forget my children, forget my spouse, forget my work, forget all these things, forget all these people. I want what my flesh wants. And so you wonder then what in the world is going on as everything around you crumbles. Well, God hears the cry of your children and of your spouse as well. It says of the rich and the evils they were doing that the cries reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Now, that ought to be a scary statement for us. (laughs) It's alluding to Deuteronomy 24, 14 through 15. But just... Notice that, those three words there, Lord of hosts. As in, they have offended God himself, who will array all the host of his power. 
or literally Lord of armies. He will array his armies against the rich. Is that a reason to tremble a little bit? Is that a reason to say, yeah, that's misery coming for you? And yet there's more. The rich here are acting as though they are judges of the righteous when they are the least fit to judge the righteous. And then it says in verse 6 that the righteous does not resist you. Do you see just how massive this wave of evidence is that's coming? Do you see why James is preaching the way he is here? Now as we hear all of this and what James is saying As we hear it in 2022, as we hear it here in America as Americans, what should be our response? Well, hear and respond to his plea. Hear and respond to his plea. It might be that you fit the description that James is talking about here. And it may not just be riches. It could be something else. But to greater or lesser degrees, you fit this description. You're hoping in this world. You're hoping in your bank account. You're hoping in your investments. You're hoping in your job. You're hoping in your retirement. You're hoping in your stuff. You're living for it. More and more and more building your own passing kingdom. Well, James, he is saying, friends, that is hopeless. That is worthless. Don't live for that. And so for the question for us and the question for you and for all of us is where will your hope be? In self, in decay, in this passing world? Or will it be in Christ. He is the only one who gives a never-ending, never-ceasing, unshakable kingdom that no one can take away. And so, in essence, what James is calling, what he's pleading for here, this, what he's giving here is a gospel plea. It's a similar plea that we hear again and again throughout Scripture. And it's a simple one. Will you believe God? Will you believe God? Will you believe Jesus when he says, I have something better for you than all this? Or are you just going to say, well, no, I don't know. I really do need to accumulate all the stuff I can right now because I don't know what's happening next in, in the world to come, so I don't know if I can trust you. And as you say all that, as you struggle all that, you need to see what's going on. We're right back in Genesis chapter 3. Will you believe God in His Word? Will you trust him or will you trust self and sin and Satan and go on and building your house on sinking sand? So what if you say then, right now, if you're saying, okay, yes, I believe, Lord, I believe it. What will that mean? Repentance. Either Perhaps in turning to Christ for the first time that right now maybe you're seeing that, yeah, I have been trusting in all those things. That my kingdom, this has been my kingdom. This has been what I've been building is this world. This has been my hope. I haven't been trusting in Christ. I've been building this building, this church, my work. Not Christ and his church. 
when you need to repent and turn to Christ and put your faith in the one who can save you, who will give you a kingdom that will never fade, never cease, and will endure forever. Amen. Believing that he died and was buried and rose again, that all your sins, all that guilt that you have in your heart right now, that shame will be forgiven by the grace of God through faith in Christ to everyone who believes. So that's what you need to do. Or if you're here and you're a believer, may mean confessing to Christ that you have been building on your own kingdom and not his. Yet you have made your life about yourself. The Puritan Henry Smith, he gives right counsel for us. It is an old saying, repentance is never too late. But as a true saying, repentance is never too soon. Not late, but friends, now don't hope in riches, hope in Christ. Don't hope in riches, hope in Christ. Hope in him who is the object of true hope. And consider how will your life and all that God has given you, whether you're rich or you're poor, or maybe you're somewhere in between all of that, how will you use it for his kingdom and for his glory? for the rest of the days that he may give you in this world. Really be after Christ and his kingdom and that he and he only would be first in your heart. And may it be that you and I say and sing truly, riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise Thou mine inheritance, now and always. Thou and thou only, first in my heart, high King of heaven, my treasure thou art. Let's pray. Father, we come and we bow ourselves before you and ask that you would Help us, even as we began, we pray that you would help us to believe your word. Help us to believe it. As we work all this out, is that complicated? Yes. Is it going to be challenging? Yes. How might we do that in a world in America where everything is so centered around stuff and materialism? by the grace of God, with our eyes hoping in the kingdom of God in Christ our Lord. So what we can't do, you can do. And so we pray for that. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.